Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. I'm Anand Upadhyay. Thanks for joining me today. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. Welcome to the second season of the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We've loved the opportunity to meet and speak with attorneys and legal professionals from all corners of the industry. We've gotten a lot of great feedback and we're excited for what 2019 has in store. This season, we'll be hearing from key voices in knowledge management, legal operations, technological innovation, and other experts on the front lines of rapid change in the legal industry. We wanted to start season two out with a heavyweight in the field of law firm knowledge management. Our guest today is Oz Ben-Amram. He's the chief knowledge officer at White & Case, where he's led their KM program for over 10 years. Oz is a leader in the field, and his ideas on technology, law firm economics, and information management are often years ahead of his peers. Our podcast today covers efficiency in law, the effects of recessions on the legal industry, and automation in legal. We'll also talk about Oz's move from a tank commander in Israel to being a large firm attorney to the chief knowledge officer at White & Case. Thanks for joining us. So, Oz, I really want to start this off with, uh, um, you know, a, a, a discussion of your background. Um, you went from a major in the Israeli Defense Forces, a tank company commander, to a practicing large law firm attorney, and all the way from there to uh, the first ever chief knowledge officer at White & Case. That's obviously a very impressive and, and amazing career arc. Uh, my question is very broad. How did you go from being a major in the IDF to now running the show as far as knowledge management goes at one of the most prestigious law firms in the world? Uh, you're very kind. I think uh, I took it one step at a time. Uh, you know, uh, when I joined the Israeli army in Israel, it's a mandatory drafting. So I didn't make a decision to join. You have to join. Uh, I actually postponed it. I did a gap year before. Uh, I wasn't looking forward to that. But while I was there, uh, if you want to be an officer, uh, you have to sign up to stay a little longer and go to cadet course. And that was attractive enough. I like to tell other people what to do early on in life. Uh, so uh, that led to to the military career there for a while. Uh, and then I went to law school. Uh, I practiced in Israel as a litigator, and after uh, working in the Supreme Court in Israel, I had a friend who was a volunteer from the from the U.S. who said we're looking for an Israeli lawyer here in New York at Fulbright Jaworski at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I got to New York, uh, and there wasn't really any master plan uh, throughout the process. Then uh, I, I came here after litigating there, I came here to do IPOs and securities work. Now, you know, Oz, when you were a litigator in Israel and then also when you were at Fulbright Jaworski, were you, did, did uh, the work that you were doing there kind of plant the seeds that ended up being your kind of thought leadership in knowledge management? I don't think so. <laughs> I think, uh, so I, you, in Israel, you make a, a partner much sooner. Uh, as a fifth year, most people become partners uh, compared to New York, where it's about double the time. Uh, and I didn't love litigation as much as I hoped, and I decided I would like to try to do securities and corporate work. 
so when the opportunity came in New York, I, I was happy to come to Fulbright. Uh, and then I fairly early on discovered that ev almost every Israeli company we took public uh, was sued for IP infringement. Uh, so a year later, I moved to Mofo uh, that had a stronger IP practice uh, and with a hope to continue doing Israeli uh, IPOs. But in 2000, the market died. Uh, there weren't many IPOs happening. Uh, and I worked to work on litigation again uh, at Mofo. Uh, and I was, at the time, we didn't know what to call it, but I was in the early stage of the e-discovery. And it was a huge case, and we did a lot of uh, gathering documents, putting it together. And I put together a system that helped our lawyers find what they needed. And then 2002, at Mofa said, we need a lawyer to run the knowledge department. Ah. Uh, and, and I was there. Uh, and before that, though, so before 2002, before 2000, a lot of that work... Uh, was being done manually, right? I mean, you would take uh, dozens or more uh, of associates at MoFo or any other firm, and they would be in charge of doing a lot of the, the doc review work, right? I mean, this was kind yeah. of that inflection point in e-discovery? Yeah, we, we it, so it was both, yes, I, we still at the time printed what we collected and what we handed out was in paper. Right. Uh, but but in the back end, we were trying to aggregate and, and make sure we have a better view of uh, the events that happened, uh, regardless of who was the custodian of those documents. So we had a, a little broader perspective. And so did it fall on you to be the person who, um, you know, first started attempting to modernize this information gathering and kind of document review process? Um, was it just a kind of an opportunistic thing? You know, you were the litigator on the case. Uh, the, it was, yeah. it was by chance. Yeah, I was in charge of collecting the data and making it accessible to the team that reviewed it. Uh, so yeah, it was an early, early case e-discovery. I mean, I think at the time there were starting to be a few uh, tools, but there wasn't the standard. It wasn't the relativity market. Uh, or anything close to that. Uh, we actually used Outlook. You know, every day we after we 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 grabbed all those emails and and a calendar appointment and just we put them all into one master Outlook account uh, that gave us the view of what it is. It wasn't any fancy system. It was just the aggregation. Yeah, we've uh, come a long way. Yes, we did. We have. Um, and um, you know, did that work that you did then? Did that set you up for your now? you know, very prominent uh, post at White and Case? I mean, did that lay the groundwork? Did feeling that so, pain uh, I think, lead you in this direction? I think, I think it's the notion that uh, there is a better way to do what we do uh, that that led me. Uh, and I was never shy about expressing my ideas. So I think... Uh, I've, never, I've from, never known you to be shy, Oz, so I could cry uh, about that. <laughs> Uh, I think the, the guys at MoFo appreciated uh, that I had concrete ideas of how we can do things in a more efficient way uh, and were, were uh, eager to, to try to change the way we practice the time and do, make it better. Uh, and you know, it, it, was, it was by chance in many ways because it was a combination of a very, uh, I think at the time, a thoughtful CIO, Joe Haraf, uh, and one of the partners who was the head of the technology practice, technology group uh, at one case, uh, I'm sorry, at MoFo, uh, Michael Jacobs, and the combination of them just saying, let's take a bet and let's uh, let's give it a try, uh, could have now, ended up differently. Now, at that time, Oz, do you know whether they were 
being pushed by the client to, to, you know, take a lot of these steps to modernize the firm? Or were these two uh, of your uh, former colleagues just really kind of cutting edge people, technologists, um, interested in, uh, in modernizing the practice with no external motivation? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I think generally it is always the, the, the market effort to be efficient and doing it. But at the time uh, when we're talking about the, the, the after you know after the, the crash of 2000, uh, work came again. It wasn't the big recession that we had re- more recently. So we were paid for being inefficient in a way as an industry uh, because the clients were still paying by the hour. Uh, it only changed. The pressures only started feel, being felt more recently in the 2007-8 uh, uh, meltdown. So I remember at one of the partners, we tried to convince to try something different and use more efficient tool. And he said, so explain to me, you're asking me to pay money to use a tool that will make me make, make less money. <laughs> uh, and he was being, he was, a, he was a definitely a good guy looking after his client's interests, but uh, the business model uh, was more pushed towards inefficiency in a way uh, where we, today we don't have to explain why we're trying to do things more efficiently. Uh, people come to knowledge management usually from one of two directions, either because uh, they're seeking perfection uh, and reduce risk and make sure that everything we do is just perfect, uh, and then people like me who come to it from desire for efficiency, uh, looking at better ways, faster ways, uh, more accurate ways, but as, as an efficiency motivator. Uh, and I think uh, the, the guys who hired me were coming also from the efficiency side. How did you get uh, that efficiency mindset? Oz? I mean, you, you seem to uh, you know have this uh, um, this expert approach to process and operations. Um, but you know, you were uh, an attorney, um, you were a a tank commander, but you know, you almost uh, seem to approach, um, you know, your post at, at white and case as a senior person at like a McKinsey or a, uh, a Bain or something like that. Um, is that, is that intentional? I mean, is your kind of operational and process based mindset here uh, a real part of how you work? So I do enjoy the puzzle, uh, and it's always a puzzle to see okay, how can we do it better, how can we make the clients happier, faster, for cheaper. Uh, you know, if you want to go all the way, my, both my parents grew up in in Jerusalem during the siege, during the war, uh, and if you look at my mother's refrigerator, it was uh, efficient to the extreme, <laughs> uh, and and I think that state of mind of. Uh, uh, just not doing things in a wasteful way is, is something that uh, stuck with me. Uh, so I do think that efficiency of doing things is really key to our uh, increased productivity all the time. Uh, we keep on talking about how we are way more productive now than we were uh, in the past. You know, we work much faster. When I started uh, litigating, uh, a complaint will get in the mail, we'll make copies, you know, five hours later we'll sit in a room, discuss it, the next day, we'll get together with some initial thoughts. And basically, at the end of the week, we'll send our draft to the client who will then will send us back their thoughts. Right. Uh, today, today, the moment the, the complaint arrives at the clients, they forward it to you. And half an hour later, if you don't answer them, they call to check if you're dead. Right. So <laughs> right. We, the things do happen faster, and it calls for 
for us to be able to work that much faster and to produce results faster, there need to be a machine behind us that makes us be able to either skip steps because we automate it or because we standardize of some of the things or just make information more available uh, by context. Right now, you need to know this. So let's have the, the environment around you make it easier for you to find the information you need. Yeah, and Oz, I know you've been out front uh, speaking a lot about legal technology. Um, and you know, one of the things that you've said over the last you know, few years is, is about this idea of a legal research toolkit. You know, I'm focused on just legal research for this particular question, but you, know, you were talking about this kind of move from uh, just having Westlaw and, or just having Lexis or even having both to a need to kind of build a toolkit around um, the urgent needs of your business. So it can no longer be a sit back and rely on what's off the shelf kind of approach. I think this also applies to your big push at White & Case with respect to modernizing your intranet. Right. So again, it comes to the fact that we think that our lawyers need to have the information as accessible as possible. Uh, and, and the notion that they need some special tools for some of the special questions. Uh, and given that the information is more accessible than before, uh, it just makes the challenge even harder. Because if everything is accessible, how do you find what is the most important piece of information? So it calls for greater expertise around research. Uh, we uh, are increasing our research staff here at White & Case. We're hiring more uh, dedicated researchers to work with our lawyers hand-in-hand. Hand uh, and those people have expertise around which is the best uh, uh, database or best resource or system to approach uh, to find the answer. Uh, and, and, and we do don't expect... Do, do, do you think in line with that, there is a, a future at law firms uh, that includes a kind of lawyer technologist, you know, someone who understands the basics of legal issues, maybe a generalist, but is very deep with respect to understanding of technology, maybe basic data science, and definitely an understanding of, of databases and what a firm uh, owns with respect to information? Yeah, absolutely. We see we see more and more subspecialties within the uh, people who work with the lawyers. Uh, you know, when when I switched from practicing to be doing knowledge management at, at Mosul, my father was very upset. You know, so you have a real <laughs> profession. Uh, why would you put aside your real profession and go to this? Uh, I think a he saw that I'm probably happier now that I would have been otherwise, uh, and I, I enjoy what I do, but. He also, with time, realized there is need and value in other professions that are around practicing law. And definitely, the fact that I practiced before uh, gives me uh, the right, uh, a better starting point. But not everyone on those roles have to have been a lawyer before right. to be successful. I think that uh, there is the right mix. Some of them definitely need to be closer to the law and, and need to understand the materia. Definitely when you do research, there is an advantage to, to practice before. Uh, the most research, uh, recent researchers we hired, uh, about half of them uh, have a law degree or practice law, and the other half are just uh, great information uh, professionals. And the same goes with the technology itself, whether right. it's uh, the people who help us put the best technology in front of our lawyers and in front of our clients. 
some of them uh, practice law before and some of them don't. And, and there are other disciplines that we need to bring and other expertise that you cannot develop uh, having worked in a law firm. Uh, so we do need to go to other, uh, and the mix is what makes it the same toolkit that we talk about for the research uh, goes here. Uh, going back just for the research, so in order to put the right mix in, in front of our lawyers, uh, we want to make sure that we have the toolkit uh, that really uh, changes based on your practice and what you need to achieve, uh, and, and having the people behind it to tell you where to go to say the, the right place. Uh, we did a study of our uh, summer associates in my old firm, and we originally got really nervous when we learned that the first place they go uh, is Google to do research. <laughs> Uh, and then from there, they go to some blogs. They don't even go to any authoritative source. Uh, and we freaked out. And then uh, one of the partners said that this is probably the smartest thing they can do. Uh, within you know, 15 minutes, they go to narrow down on the actual sources that matter the most. And then they start. So what, what used to take us a few days in the library to get general understanding, they do with a few minutes. And that's the efficiency I'm talking about. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Oz, do you think this big explosion in knowledge management and interest in knowledge management across uh, law firms um, would have even happened without the Great Recession in 08-09? I don't know, uh, but I, I, I'm sure it helped. Right? I mean, the fact that uh, we all realized that we need to work better together and to try to do it in more efficient and have the clients demand that uh, uh, aligned and makes it faster and easier. So I think that definitely the shift in the in the market and the fact that clients are asking us to be more efficient in the way we approach the work uh, helps uh, with the with the notion of doing the right thing. So I think some firms uh, would have done it regardless, and that would have been just played into their uh, advantage. Uh, others might have been able to. Uh, stay longer without doing it, but I do think at some point uh, there is just call for efficiency. Uh, it will just makes your lawyers happier not to spend extra eight hours on doing something that's not very – and when you think about where the efficiency is, it's not the greatest thing. It's not that you sit in your room and you dig deeper and think more. Uh, that work nobody ever wants to automate, and, and it will never go away. So the really interesting thing that makes our lawyers uh, be the great lawyers they are uh, this is not where we can shave at this point any time. The only time that we're shaving those efficiencies is by the work that can be automated. So almost by definition, it's not the most exciting work uh, that makes us, uh, and it's not the greatest added value work that we do. Right, and it's likely the work that the client appreciates the least that is most susceptible to being automated out. Yes, in line with that, uh, how do you think the the legal industry is going to change over the next ten years? I mean, you you've identified some things already. You know, your your and White and Case is bringing on board a number of researchers, uh, some legally trained, some just very adept at information management. Um, I mean, that I think is on the cutting edge right there. Um, what things do you think are going to become? a lot more common and, and normal in 10 years in the legal industry? So I think we will continue to have standards uh, where we started. There, there are many things today. Uh, when I bought my house, it was probably one of the biggest uh, personal investments decisions I ever made. 
Uh, we bought it with a two-page contract that is about 200 years old. It was Xerox 1700 times. I don't even know <laughs> I can read all the words. And, but that was market standard. And instead of me negotiating uh, what could have been weeks of negotiations of the greatest transaction uh, ever made, we just went and we used the market standard uh, for this because it happened so many times and there's so many known uh, things that could go wrong and there is the legislation around it and the, and the case law. So we did it with a two-pager and then we added one page for the things we cared, the dates, you know, and all those things. Uh, the same is going to happen to some of the other transactions that we have that are more sophisticated. They, they're getting to be standardized, uh, which means that the lawyer's time is really uh, being spent on the things that matter the most. So I think, in general, it's fair to assume that uh, lawyers will spend fewer hours on each one of the engagements that we do, but in those fewer hours, we're going to uh, bring much more value per hour than we do today. Do you think uh, that's, that will open the door to solving some of the access to justice problems that, that we have in this country? Uh, you know, even, I mean, setting aside, um, you know, indigent, uh, you know, potential clients, there are a lot of middle class potential clients who don't have access to legal services. Do you think this trend of being able to do more with less will address that kind of expanding the pie of potential clients that, um, you know, even medium or small firms can take on? So I think the answer is yes. I think some of it will be uh, automated. Right? So some of the things that uh, are harder to access today, they're harder because they're very local and they're paper-based and you need to pay someone uh, that you see. If you separate the work from the access and, and the location, uh, I think there is room to assume that more work will be done uh, by partially machine and then someone who doesn't necessarily sit in front of you. Uh, to do it because it's more electronically uh, driven. So that would help, uh, again, having access and, and being able to find information and, and having it more digitized and standardized uh, will make it easier for uh, other, once it's digitized and standardized, everyone can adopt the standard. So your local court can adopt the same form that we're using here, which means the same person can now help many others. So yeah, I think it would help in, in justice, access to justice. Uh, I think it would also help uh, with the value that we propose to our clients. Uh, so I think that, and the biggest change I think is going to be in terms of buying those services. When you look at what iTunes did to the music industry or Uber did to the taxi industry, they did not change the way you write the music or the way you uh, transfer a person from point A to point B. You still have to go downstairs, you're stuck in traffic, you know, they're not droning you, they're not zapping you. Uh, right, so the, right. the core of the practice did not change, but buying those services became uh, much more efficient, uh, which usually plays to the benefit of the customer uh, in an efficient market. Uh, and when, as a client now, it's so much easier to buy uh, those services and to, to consume them. I think the pie has grown as a result. Uh, I think we're going to see in the next decade fewer people driving their own cars. Uh, either it's going to be driverless or driver in, uh, but people are relying on those services. The same happens with music. I think that my kids own much more music than I owned at their age, and it's because it's so accessible and so easy to find and identify and compare. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be the fact that that's probably going to be the biggest change uh, in ability to, to buy our services uh, and to find us. 
What are the the pain points that you see and experience at White and Case, and you know your colleagues uh, working at your level at, at peer firms? Um, what what pain points do you think current legal technology is just simply not addressing? I mean, do you think that the legal technology industry has a fair handle on all of the the main, I mean, regardless of whether they're doing a good job or not? Do you feel like the legal technology industry is responsive to a lot of or all of the pain points that you experience at a firm? Uh, so I think there is definitely the attempt to. There is definitely a, there is way more money going to legal technology startups than ever before. We see many more uh, attempts to solve problems. Uh, I think we will uh, we will see some market consolidation uh, in the coming years. Uh, most uh, or many of the, the vendors that we see, they solve one problem, uh, which calls for a vendor per problem. It's not a great model. Uh, I do think we will see a platform that becomes more of a standard, uh, just like uh, Lexis and Westlaw were de facto uh, standard in legal research uh, in the past decades. Uh, I think now with, with opening, the, the market is opening, so I think there is a proliferation of access to information, which calls for some new standards probably that will emerge around that. Uh, the same will happen to the way we work, uh, the way we share documents and questions with our clients, and uh, the way the information flows and, and the matters open. Uh, so no, I don't think that we've seen it all. I think that uh, people tend to overestimate a change in the short run and underestimate it in the long run. I totally agree with that. That's not my statement, of course. Uh, but I, I do think it's true. I think that you know we might not see a huge difference in the next two years, uh, but we will definitely see a huge difference in the in the next decade. You know, the last five to ten years or so in legal technology, we've seen certain trends. You know, we've seen data visualization, analytics. Now, uh, you know, we're seeing AI in contracts and legal research in other places. What other uh, um, product trends do you see in the next five or ten years coming up? Uh, so I think we only see many people talk about AI. We haven't seen a lot of AI in practice yet. Right? And I think the, the ability of machines to mimic our behavior uh, and to streamline that and to uh, uh, present to us what it thinks, uh, I think, would be a, a big trend. So currently, most of the machine replacing humans is either uh, before or after the fact, right? So you either have a, a, a technology categorize content and then present it to you, uh, or you see it after the fact, you touch it, you, it files it for you and then designate it. Uh, what we're starting to see, and that's probably where it's most exciting, is real time. So the, as you touch something, the technology will tell you what I think it is, and then you could correct it as you go along. Uh, and that will will uh, make the the machine learning experience much more uh, important and much more uh, powerful in the way that the pro end product will improve faster. Uh, we see that also with contract reviews. Right? So we see some some of the products that help us there. Uh, they, they either do it on their own or you correct it uh, as a dead. But we, as it's come to the live right now, as I touch the document, I get what the machine thought, uh, and I correct it, and then the machine learns from my behavior. That's where the, the uh, future, I think, is lie ahead of us. There's a lot more work to do to be able to draw 
all those correlation points and to learn from us. But uh, this is an exciting area to look at. Do you think a lot of the pressure uh, to to innovate and modernize law firms is coming directly um, from the clients at this point? I mean, are clients, in order to get new uh, engagements, in order to uh, retain big marquee clients, are they making it explicit at this point that they don't want to work with a, you know, non-modern or, or, you know, dinosaur law firm that they want to work with um, a cutting edge firm? I mean, like White and Case um, to, in order to represent them. I mean, has that, has that been made very clear or is it still um, kind of just implied? So uh, I have a different view. I think that we hear often that clients uh, want innovation. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that what clients really want is uh, security and efficiency. Uh, because I, if I were to come to a law firm and say, hey, we're going to do something truly innovative, true innovation means you're taking a risk, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be innovative. If right. you're doing something that's 100% safe, uh, and I think most clients don't, when they think about the lawyers, uh, they don't think of innovation, right? I want to make sure that right, if they want a strategy, they go to McKinsey. If they want to find business opportunities, they go to the bankers. When they want to seal the deal uh, and they want assurances, they come to the law firms, make sure that it happens the right way, that I'm protected. So I, I do think that clients want us to be very accurate uh, and they want to know that we are as efficient as we could be. So I think the innovation part is, uh, is coming is, is more, in their view, is really about efficiency more than innovation. Uh, and rightly so. I mean, it's not criticism. It's just I think that the way we've been describing the question is not accurate. Right. Uh, so right. yes, I do think that our um, sophisticated clients are demanding that the law firms for which they pay real money is going to be as efficient as possible. Uh, it's part of the value that you give us uh, when we come to higher services. Uh, often, this efficiency is not only at how many hours you charge me, it's how fast you're able to uh, finish this transaction. When you are a public company and you're going through an M&A, the length of time that you hang between announcing it to the market and closing the deal is a huge a pressure on the company. You need to run your company while you're doing due diligence, while you're making all the decisions. So the fact that we can do it now in half the time that we used to do it a few years ago uh, is a huge value for the client. Forget Again, forget about the bill, uh, just in terms of the speed of delivery. Uh, often when clients come to engage with the law firm, there is something that uh, causes anxiety uh, with the client. So if you could shorten the time that I'm in this uh, phase of anxiety, that by itself is very valuable. That's really that's really interesting. It's a really interesting point, Oz. So, Oz, I really want to thank you for joining us on our podcast. It's a real honor to have someone as accomplished as you in the field of knowledge management. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you, and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.